Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today's topic is limitations on subcontracting, which surprisingly impacts small businesses. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Becoming a Skyway community member makes it easier to navigate the complicated world of government contracting because you gain context from Skyway's team of former contracting officers. As a member, you get unlimited access to the Ask a Contracting Officer forum and hundreds of articles, webinars, and training modules. Go to skywaymember.com to get started with a personal membership because without context, you're likely missing opportunities. Okay, let's get started. Teaming is a critical part of the contracting process. We've actually done several different episodes about teaming from, from different perspectives. Finding the right teaming partner, it's, it's more art than science because it's a relationship. I mean, it's, it's, when you're teaming up with somebody, you, you're effectively marrying them for five years. Right. So to put that in the 80-20 lingo, you know, it's 80% relationship and 20% process. So yes, there's process, but a lot of government contracts can be 80% process, 20% relationships. When you're teaming, it's mostly relationship. A lot of times people think about teaming as, as a large business thing. Large businesses are required by their small business plan to, to have a, a whole bunch of small businesses to be compliant with all the government rules. So we think about teaming as large businesses going out and finding small businesses, different types of small businesses to meet all their goals. But that's only half of the issue. Small businesses need to team too. Sometimes they're teaming with Prime. Sometimes they're teaming with other small businesses. And I think that's where you and Skyway work with a lot of small businesses who are struggling with the teaming process. Most of the companies we help are probably 80% are small to mid-sized companies. But even when I was a contracting officer, I awarded a lot of small business contracts, which is why the, the clause we discussed today showed up so much for me as a CO. We've discussed before when we're talking about large businesses and subcontracting plans that the rules are somewhat buried in the FAR. And the clauses in particular can be hard to find, especially when they're added by reference and, and not in full text for you to read right there in the RFP. And we talked about, in episode 82, we talked about where clauses fit and which ones fit in your contract and why they're added by reference versus being in full text. But that's a whole other rabbit hole that we won't get into today. What we're going to get into today is a clause that impacts small businesses when they are bidding as a prime on small business set-asides. But first, let's stop and say thanks. Let's say thanks to Jay King. Jay is a project manager with CHA Consulting. It's a civil engineering and construction firm in Virginia. Say thanks to Jay for liking and sharing our content on LinkedIn because the best way for people to find this information that we're giving away for free is people like Jay to like and share it. So thanks for that. Thanks, Jay. What are we talking about today? We'll jump straight to far time. This is 52.219-14, limitation on subcontracting. And this is as of January 2017. Clauses get updated all the time. Sometimes it's important to say, this is the point in time when this is completely accurate because it'll be mostly accurate, but not quite as accurate 10 years from now when they update the clause. And, and the good news on these clauses is the concepts don't change, but some of the nuances do. Okay, 52.219-14, limitation on subcontracting. B, applicability. This clause applies only to, number one, contracts that have been set aside or reserved for small business concerns or 8A participants. Number two, part or parts of a multiple order contract that have been set aside for small business concerns or 8A participants. And number three, orders set aside for small businesses or 8A participants under multiple ward contracts as described in the section about federal supply schedules 
and in the section about ordering on IDIQ contracts. And, and each of those is a rabbit hole. It's a separate podcast, but we'll stick to the basic clause today. To sum it up, if a contract has been set aside for small businesses under any of the ways that the government can set them aside for small businesses, this limitation on subcontracting clause applies. And in the whole or in part, if part of the contract is set aside for small business, this, st- this clause still applies. That's an important feature to consider. 52.219-14C says, by submission of an offer and execution of a contract, the offerer slash contractor agrees that in performance of the contract, they will, and it's a little bit different depending on the kind of contract, but for a services contract, the contractor is agreeing that at least 50% of the cost of contract performance incurred for personnel shall be expended for employees of the concern, which means that 50% of the cost of the work being done by people on this contract has to be done by employees of that contractor, of the small business that has signed the contract. If the contract is for supplies, the small business has to perform at least 50% of the cost of manufacturing the supplies, not including the cost of materials. So it's still, it's the people work. As a general rule, this contract requires the small business that was awarded this contract to do 50% of the work, 50% of the labor. The principle they're going for is these are the employees of the company that is the prime contractor. That's the concept that doesn't change. If we're talking general construction, the percentages are a little different. If it's general construction, the small business employees have to perform at least 15% of the cost of the contract, not including materials. And if it's construction by special trade contractors, then it's 25% of the cost of the contract has to be performed by that small business's employees. Simple concept so far. So far. When does this apply? So we already talked. If it's a small business set aside, this probably applies. FAR 19.508E also tells you that if it's a set aside and exceeds $150,000, it applies. And what is $150,000? The simplified acquisition threshold. Simplified acquisition threshold. As of today. Right, currently. So here we're going to introduce a concept called a class deviation. This is where the FAR has not yet been updated to include a new thought, or there's something temporary that they want to change in the FAR. The government inserts into the FAR what is called a class deviation. So a whole class of acquisitions are affected by this deviation. This one's as of August 2018. What they've done is they've updated the paragraph to specify that the contract amount above which this clause applies, instead of saying the contract amount is expected to exceed $150,000, it says the contract amount is expected to exceed the simplified acquisition threshold. And that gets put in there to change it immediately, to make it effective immediately, and eventually they'll get around to actually updating the FAR or the DFARS or whatever reg it is and make it permanent. Or, or it could go away. This is important because it follows the age-old rule in contracting that you only want each piece of information in a contract once. And it applies to the FAR as well. If the simplified acquisition threshold is $150,000 and it changes to $200,000 later, you have to hunt down every place that references $150,000 in the FAR and update it to say two hundred. If you just put in definitions that the simplified acquisition threshold is 150 or 200, and every place else in the FAR you just say 
the simplified acquisition threshold, it references back, and you only have to find it once, and that's the way you should do your contracts too. And this is particularly maddening when you have a contract writing system, I'm having a flashback here, where you have to open each tab separately and you have the numbers in four or five different places. So instead of just changing one number, it, you know, it's like a two hour project <laughs> Software crashes. And yeah, anyway, and so, you hope yeah, that you found them all. And inevitably, there's one instance that you didn't change that introduces yep. ambiguity into your contract. Exactly what happened. That's why, it, that's, why it's, that's why it's a flashback. All right. Let me get you out of the flashback by moving on to the acquisition and execution time zones. When are you thinking about this clause, this limitation of subcontracting clause? This is in the acquisition time zones generally. It comes up in the market research zone when the government's deciding whether or not to use a small business set aside. The RFP zone is where you will see the clause if they've decided to set it aside and it's above the simplified acquisition threshold. You'll see this clause in there. And the source selection zone is where you can get in trouble if you didn't pay attention to the clause. We'll talk about that in in a minute. On the execution time zone side, it does come up in the performance zone and we'll touch on that in a minute as well. Why is this important? Hmm. Trouble ahead. The clause keeps small businesses from being a shell for a large business that then does all the work. So in other words, you have an RFP comes out and large business does 99% of the work, but they've got this small business in front of them. Well, that that must have happened because that's why there's a rule about it. <laughs> we, we, always say, we always say that. No rules are created until somebody does something wrong or somebody does something that you don't like. So – you know how this thing rolled out. They said, we're going to create a new thing called a small business set-aside so only small businesses can bid on it. And the very first competition they did, a bunch of large businesses stood up a small business as a shell, awarded the contract to the small business, then they did. Then that small business subcontracted 99% of the work to the large business, creating no small business advantages at all. And that is a viable model in the commercial market. That happens a lot. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of people that just because the one person they want to work with happens to be the CEO of this small company and 99% of the work is done by somebody else. I mean, there's stories galore of that. So it's not an abnormal or even necessarily a bad thing, which is why this is a tripwire in government contracts. If you move into government contracts and don't know this clause is in there and this percentage of work issue can sneak up on you because it also applies separately to 52.219-27, which is for service disabled veteran owned small business set-asides, there's a separate set of ratios. And 52.219-29, which is for women-owned small business set-asides, again, different set of ratios. But understand that, that that's the, pr- the principle here is make sure the small business is doing the work and make sure they're doing a proportionate amount of the work. That's the whole point of this clause. But you got to know that it's in there and know how it applies. Speaking of proportionate, I think we were way over our usual proportion of FAR references for one episode. You just dropped a whole bunch of numbers on me there. I, I, I got to be in far time this week. <laughs> I got to drop a couple of my own. A special guest appearance by Kevin. That's right. On the government side, why does the government care about this little clause that's in their contracts? It, it's a critical compliance issue. and it's, it's buried in that litany of clauses we talked about that are incorporated by reference. Section I has, you know, I don't know, could have 100 clauses, and each one of them is listed by title. And this is one of those titles. And the purpose of this clause is to level the playing field so that the small businesses are actually competing against other small businesses. That's, that's why it's here. It's also a binary evaluation factor. I had a source selection that was a $25 million contract. And one of the offers that had a pretty good solution, but he, he she, I don't know, the, the company had 85% of their people were consultants. 
that's well, that's that's an that's an independent contractor. That's a subcontractor in in contract lingo. And I'm looking through this, then it was very obvious they had too many people, a lot more. Consider the, the standard is 50 percent, and they were only doing 15 percent of the work with their employees. Given the how far apart the gap was, I think they just didn't know. They didn't know that was there. So when we looked at the math, and of course our pricer, keep in mind that it was a big enough contract, we actually had a pricer. It took him, you know, 20 minutes to put the numbers together and be like, yeah, they're not even close. So in the end, we had to eliminate them. I had to send them a Dear John letter that says, you've been eliminated from the competition because you didn't meet this clause, which is one tiny line on the 54-page RFP that I sent you. <laughs> Ouch, it sucked for them. Remember that it's not only during source selection that this matters. Once you award the contract, it becomes a compliance factor that then must be monitored. So you, you think you're getting away with, hey, this is a small business set-aside contract. It's going to be easy to administer. Ha-ha. There is this one little catch in there, many more than one, but this is one of the catches in there. Obvious one. It's a whole lot like monitoring small business plan compliance when you award to a large business where the large business has submitted a plan that says they'll award 10% to women-owned small businesses and 5% to veteran-owned small businesses. Now you have something you have to monitor for your small business prime contracts. Are they doing more than 50% of the work? And what happens if they don't comply? Technically, it's, it's a breach of contract. I mean, when you signed up to this contract, you said you were going to do this. Now, realistically, the, the, the nice thing about this is it's pretty obvious. I mean, if somebody suddenly goes from doing 50 percent to 15 percent, you're going to notice. So it's, it don't don't feel like, you know, as a contracting officer, you have to start you know adding this to the list of things that you're you're scraping through payroll every two weeks, counting numbers. That's not the point of this. It should be pretty obvious. But what happens when you don't comply on the extreme? It's a, it's a, it's a termination. Realistically, I don't see that happening. But. Let's not get into enforcement in this episode because that's a whole separate rabbit hole. Just know that there are key clauses like this one that are that are deal breaker clauses. You can really run into trouble in the source selection. Like you said, it's a pass fail criteria. And during performance, you can be terminated if you don't comply. Ooh, deal breaker clause. That sounds like a great title for an episode. Okay, keep going. Focus on the industry side. Industry cares for the same reason. It's a critical compliance issue, but it's kind of buried in there. You might not be aware of it if you're new to the government market. When I sent that letter that said, you've been eliminated from the competitive range because you violated 52.219-14, I don't think they knew about it. You know, I wondered who I got fired for that because it's one clause, but it's one that you need to make sure you understand how it works. Somebody was not happy when that letter arrived. And this is the kind of technicality that, that makes people crazy about the government market because they get caught on one little thing. But the clause is in there for a reason. It really is to protect small businesses. The whole reason that we have these set-asides is to help small businesses grow. That's good for the economy. That's what we've decided. We're going to do this. Even though it might cost a little more for small businesses to perform, it is good for us to grow small businesses. If we didn't have this rule... Large businesses could still be doing all the work, and it wouldn't actually help do what set-asides are supposed to do. The other side of this is it's there to protect small businesses themselves. It's a real wake-up call to keep them from bidding on something outside of their weight class, and we've talked about weight classes in other episodes as well. When you look at the contract and say, wow, this is a kind of big contract for us, but I can subcontract out most of it, just do a little bit of the work, and it'll help me grow, eh. You have to do 50% of the work in order to win this contract and in order to perform on the contract and not get terminated. 
Speaking of terminated, this is a good point to wrap it up. That was a good segue. Nicely done. On the government side, if there's concern that this clause is going to surprise somebody, mention it in the RFIs. Highlight it. Make it an evaluation criteria, but make sure they are aware of it and say, just in case you didn't know, this is a small business set aside, this clause is going to apply. I wish I had done more of that. Maybe that would have kept that person from getting fired. <laughs> right. On the industry side, this is the framework of a small business set aside. This, this, is, this kind of tells you where the bumpers are and, and how you need to operate and deliver within it. 50% gives you the bumpers and say, okay, if you can't do 50% of the work with the people that are employees of your company, either you have the wrong skill set or you got to hire like crazy. It, it's not just the performance work statement or the statement of work. It's not just the technical part. It, it's the contract structure too. And this is part of the acquisition strategy that gets built during the market research zone it's important to understand how it's going to impact you. Piling on to what you said about this being the framework of a small business set aside, many contracts are not set aside for small businesses because the government has done that market research and validated that there's not small businesses out there that can actually do 50% of the work themselves. You know, For really big contracts, that can be a real stretch for small businesses. And the government's not out to destroy small businesses in their attempt to satisfy requirements and that then get nothing for the user. So this clause, it, it's actually sort of like, like the weigh-in at the fight. This is how that, that weight class is, is, is enforced <laughs> in the contract, right? Uh, that's a great description. I, that should be the picture we use for this episode. <laughs> All right, with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. If you need help with this and other incorporated by reference clauses, visit AskSkyway.com to learn how Skyway acquisition can help. We'll see you next week.